welcome to the podcast, Ms. Grants. So I'm Asia, and with us today we have Logan, David, and Laura. Everyone say hi. 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 Yeah. So we kind of have this idea of putting together this podcast a little bit like This American Lifestyle. Well, This American Life hyphen style, which is a podcast that most of us know about, right? Okay, so out there, if you've not heard of it, it's amazing. And each week they gather writers and, and creatives and scientists and all sorts of people to the table, and they pick a theme, and then they allow everybody to take a whack at the theme. So we thought that would be cool for our group of people. So we decided upon the theme, blink twice if you're in trouble. So we bring that forth today, blink twice if you're in trouble, and it's open to interpretation. But should we do that now? We should do that now. <laughs> I'm in a podcast. I'm looking twice. Okay. So let's just open the dialogue with questions. You had some. Well, I kind of was hoping someone would start it out because I had a couple different ideas because I overthink anyways. Good. We can edit the hell out of anything, right? <laughs> yeah. True. It's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the thing we talked about most is I think it's, and I'm guilty of it myself, is making it a joke. It's like, you know, either David mentioned social media, someone said, blink twice if you're in trouble, when really it wasn't like a situation where it's it's just become desensitized, and that's kind of freaky as a woman that lives in a metro city. But that's one way I can take it. <laughs> that's an excellent point. And also, suicidality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been open for a lot of people of late. And now the pandemic, we see it in community mental health all the time, where... Sometimes people shut down when you say "look twice if you're in trouble." That's all they can do, mm-hmm. you know. And then we have to look at well, not have to but look at like from humorous angle. There is that. Yeah, it started off real deep. <laughs> it started <laughs> off bad. not that deep. <laughs> do you want to tell? Can you tell us the story of how we arrived there? How what? Arrived there. Here, talking about when I said it to you as a joke. Yeah. You want specifics or generalities? Generalities. Generalities. I, like, I honestly don't remember the specifics, but it was witnessing someone in public, and, you know, you said, in a weird way, you felt bad for that person. I was like, well, that's when you just go up and whisper, blink twice if you're in trouble. Yeah. I was like, that is a good thing. And then, Logan, do you remember when I told you that for the first time? I was like, Laura just said something I think is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I vaguely recall. <laughs> Turns out it's pretty dark. It's <laughs> <laughs> a number of things. <laughs> what do you think of it? Like twice of your trouble. I mean, I don't know what to think of it. It's a good idea. In premise, right? <laughs> Had you heard of it before? No. Okay. I've heard it, but I've, I've always heard of, you know, very personalized ones between friends or sisters or parents or whatever. Whether oh you know can we have pizza for dinner a text message or something mm-hmm. and that's like a cue that something's wrong. Yeah, I think my friends was we're out of milk was the text. Yeah. 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 So I think everyone kind of has their own. David, what about you? Oh, you're. No, no, it's fine. Um, I I went down the rabbit hole looking up blink twice if you're in trouble today. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I went down the rabbit hole today uh, looking up Blink Twice If You're In Trouble, and I found out about Marina Joyce. Have, has anybody heard of her? No. She is a British um, YouTuber, and she's 25 now. In 2019, she went missing for 10 days. And uh, when she started acting strange on her videos, People posted on her comments, blink twice if you're in trouble, because they were afraid she was being coerced to uh, make these videos. And uh, she was looking off camera nervously, and there was a finger scene like pointing into the frame of the video. Um, Fans started talking about how she appeared frightened and distressed. And uh, in one of her videos, she was seen with bruises on the back of her arms, and in I think that video or another one, she seemed to whisper the words, help me. So it started a lot of um, people talking. She had, um, I think, over a million viewers at that time, subscribers. 
Um, and one of her fans posted, I have the feeling, along with many other people, that someone is forcing Marina to make these videos. Most likely her boyfriend, but it is possible that she could have been kidnapped. Or she's overdosing on drugs. Her eyes keep trailing off behind the camera, and her body language makes her seem incredibly uncomfortable. Almost like she's repeating what someone else is doing. She can barely stand still. She's shaking, and her body appears stiff and wobbly. So a lot of people started talking about that. And the, the hashtag Save Marina Joyce trended um, for three days on Twitter. And um, people were really worried about her. Um, the, the, uh, the incident was never really resolved. She showed up after 10 days and posted another video um, that said she had been depressed and she just wasn't making videos. But there was still a lot of um, controversy surrounding it where people were still saying something was wrong, even though her, her boyfriend uh, had posted that everything was fine. Um, people were suspicious of that because he was one of the possible culprits of her disappearance. Um, and then her mom posted that she was fine. Um, the police came and everything seemed fine. but. Um, yeah, it's something about how the internet amplifies things and, uh, you know, things that may be, there may be, there may have been something going on there, but because everybody freaked out, it got really big. So that was, that was what I discovered about, um, blink twice if you're in trouble. I have to ask the obvious question, which mm -hmm. is, did she blink twice yeah. on camera? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, nobody has you know, pointed to a specific time where she did that. Um, the help me or whatever she said, help, please help. Um, that was, that was what prompted people, I think, to say blink twice if you're in trouble. But, um, yeah, she, uh, she's still making videos now. And, um, I did watch two of the videos though, one from before the incident and one after. She definitely seemed different. Like she was, she seemed like something was wrong in the in the later video. So did they rule out any drug use? Um, they didn't, as far as I know. Um, she wasn't tested or anything like that. She, I mean, she wasn't. You know, the police weren't worried about that. They were mostly worried about where she went for ten days. So. How long ago was that? Um, this happened in 2019, I believe. Um, yeah, she was gone for 10 days in 2019. And she started making videos when she was like 15, I think. So she was 20-something, I think. 19 or 20. We can talk about other stuff, too. I can edit stuff in post. But I actually do have questions still yeah. about this whole thing, because if I missed it, I'm sorry, but did she? Did they say where she was for 10 days? No, no, that's part of the mystery. Um, supposedly, she was at her house, but it's fishy, right? Because her parents, I assume she lived with her parents. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, her mom. She lives with her mom. So here's here's the rabbit hole that, is, that I want to send this down, and that is that this is potentially an ARG, um, which is like an alternative reality game, I guess. That's what they call uh, it. Like yeah. But, you know, if it's basically doing it for views and skyrocketing, the, the problem with that is, is, you know, crying wolf, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she gained, uh, she has like 2 million followers now um, after the incident which I think she had a lot before, but after trending on Twitter and everybody finding about, out about it, she gained a lot more followers. So yeah, that's possible that it was done on purpose just to, like a publicity stunt, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Just to get followership, essentially. Mm -hmm. No one else knows it's not reality. I hate to say that and otherwise be true, but... Yeah. I mean, a lot of times we're told not to believe everything on the internet anyway, so you have to have, like, some percentage of skepticism, I think. Yeah, a healthy dose. Yeah. I want to talk about the possibility that she used that time to seek mental health. Mental, mental health help. Okay. 
Okay. So let's say, what if she did? I would like to talk about destigmatizing going to get help. Because I feel like coming out and saying I was depressed mm -hmm. or I had a depressive episode. I think that that's actually penultimately liberating and helpful if she garners a following into her, I don't know if you would call it sobriety or wellness or happiness or whatever, however she would identify health or full health, right? So you're saying that fellowship would give her a sense of like community almost or? Or like the, I'm saying like, wait, what? So are you saying like if she's doing that, making the videos for mental health, are you saying that her getting that popularity was for that reason? No. no. I, I'm erring on the side without having any data to back it up, obviously, yet, but I would err on the side that if she sought help, that's a good thing. And that if she gains more followers, maybe more people mm -hmm. will destigmatize going to get help. Yeah, so you're separating this completely from like the case, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm talking yeah. in general. Okay, that's where I was. I mean, I kind of had that, that was my other alley from this morning was when you think about the phrase, blink twice if you're in trouble, that's like the minimal effort you could give to get what you need. And that's, I kind of compared it to our situation. It's just, you don't have to make a big leap. You just have to do something. No, my, uh, <laughs> my sister, she was a dancer and they would order a, a drink that was non-alcoholic, but they would act like they put alcohol in it. And then if they were in trouble, they had a drink that they would order. Or they would have mm -hmm. certain things that they would do inside that if they were in trouble. Yeah, warning signs and danger signs. Mm -hmm. There was a big thing recently, and maybe you guys have more background on it than I do, because I just feel like it was in the periphery of my life. But it was like a hand signal that people were making to signal signify trafficking. Oh. Yeah, people have been like rescued off the street for walking with like a perpetrator predators and watching the symbol and it's gaining worldwide popularity. Anybody familiar with that? I'm familiar with another sign, um, a blue circle on the face, I think, um, for something like that. Like, I've heard of that. Yeah. Wow, you have to Google that. Yeah, I'll sure. Google it. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves while okay. you Google. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the only thing I can think of is at bars. Like, I got so in with like, the bartenders that they would be like, if you put a certain mark on your tab or, again, a certain hand gesture, they would just tap them or note or separate you from the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I know my sister and my cousin, they were partying together and they had that bro code. Mm -hmm. So they had a little. They would text something and then it said that something was wrong. But now they have GPS, so you can send a quick SOS on a GPS app mm -hmm. and uh, tell everybody where you're at. Anyways, of course, I want you to make scary movies, and I think, well, what if they drop the phone somewhere and then you just find the phone? <laughs> That's just me going down creepy alley. So I'm finding a lot about um, road signs, <laughs> what a blue circle road sign means. <laughs> what does a blue road sign mean? Um, it's a safety symbol. Something German. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why people use a blue circle for a signal, you know, because it means safety. Yeah. Sex trafficking. I, I lived in the sex trafficking capital of the world. Or in America, what? I should say. Yeah, Toledo. It's been number one. They have, it's nothing to have two or three girls go missing every week. Yeah. Wow. Whether they're running away or whether, you know, whatever. Uh -huh. They're enrolled mm -hmm. or sold. Enrolled or sold, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Shanghai. Yeah, I went to a, a tour in Portland. I was doing a doctoral happening out there. And um, we were in the Shanghai tour. So I was walking right up above. I was walking right up above. And then um, they take you like the staff way. And then you see what's below. And if you still have the nails 
where people would drop down when you say I talk to somebody and then the floor would drop out oh, and then what? they'd take your shoes and the cover with nails and glass so you can't escape and then your foot on the ship. Okay. It's a real thing. Your cells and chains and boots and they have all the shoes. See, I'd, I'd always heard of uh, the opium den recruits, you know, they fully nod out and then they wake up on a ship. There's that too. Yeah. Yeah, history is quite a mystery. Pie snatchers on the west coast. That's true. That's a thing. Those museums. Highly recommend you visit. I'm sure there's an episode of Portlandia. Oh, that, that would be strange. That would not be strange at all. There's a show. <laughs> yeah. It's a quirky little show. I know, that's what I was like. I couldn't imagine something so deep about it. Uh, yeah, they tend to take interesting takes on things, on places, locations. They do push some envelopes. They do push some envelopes. I'm distracted, you guys. I'm having trouble finding anything about this. I think it could be a British thing. That was a British um, YouTuber, in mm -hmm. an article I read had that, but I can't find it now. But this is my terrible thought that I've had for a few years. I've never gone to a screen park, or I've actually never been in a haunted house. But I feel like screen parks specifically are like the perfect place for a mass murder. For like, not even mass murder, but like a serial killer. <laughs> you go dress up. Why is up, anybody coming out? Yeah, they think you're part of the <laughs> cast, and they're like, oh my god, you're scary. And then you're a prop. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of fucked, but yeah. I know, that's kind of creepy. But you would hope screening would work. Yeah, I mean, think of like the Jeffrey Dahmer scenario where the boy was wandering around on the street and the cops came and still let him go, but that's such a rare, that's such a rare thing. Yeah, that was a different different time for sure. As a dad, any kid that was screaming and saying you're on the head or anything like that, I would stop what I'm doing. Yeah. Then we find out what the booster pills are all about. Yeah. Making a yield in Switzerland. Swiss yield. Swiss So when you originally brought up this topic, I was thinking about men's mental health for sure. The, the, and the destigmatizing of men's mental health. It's a it's a good topic. Or, you know, we're we're still on that crest of we don't talk about it. You know, we just or it comes out strictly as angry and that's been toxic for generations and generations and we're finally at that point where you know we can talk about it we can talk about what's bothering us we can actually recognize what our real feelings are mm -hmm. but still tend to be hopeful about you know totally lost my train of thought <laughs> yeah, no sorry. it's a good it's a good um topic because um I think more celebrities are talking about it now. And uh, I think that's helpful because, um, yeah, I think, you know, people look up to celebrities and um, I think they, 
people take cues from them and if they're talking about it it's kind of like it makes it okay to talk about it and like when we lost Anthony Bourdain I think a lot of people started talking about it because um, that was so public and you know um, yeah just it it helped spark those conversations because you know from the outside it appeared that he had everything he had it all together and just had a great life but inside something was wrong you know and Maybe he felt like he couldn't talk about it, you know, so. Yeah, I immediately think of Robin Williams, like, uh -huh. yeah. he misses out by her, like, the one that makes you <laughs> laugh when he had a lot going on that, like you said, you weren't supposed to talk about it, men aren't supposed to talk about it, right? Because you're supposed to be tough based on whatever bullshit generational stereotype, but yeah, I think it's great, it's getting more normalized, but it's still... It's not as common to hear as it is about women's because you know we're sensitive <laughs> and weak, <Right. laughs> so it goes both ways. But yeah, I think the more visibility, especially at a celebrity level, would be helpful just to normalize conversation in general. Yeah, and I think a lot of people think that people are either like normal and stable or batshit crazy, and there's nothing in between. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people. Because the batshit crazy is really visible, but there's a lot of people that have, you know, like Robin Williams or Anthony Bourdain that have something going on, but, you know, you can't tell from the outside necessarily. It goes, I think it goes along with a lot of stuff where it's, you're looking at the immediate consequential, like, you know, things are going to go unchecked unless something checks it. And that especially applies to mental health. You know, things build up, build up, build up. There's no outlet for it. You're not working on your mental health, then it's gonna pop one day, and and that could be in various ways. It doesn't have to be snapping and beating people up. It could be anything. So yeah, it's the case of extremes, and I think that's why it gets to that boiling point where it's, it's a spectrum, and people don't seek help until it's already at the furthest end when something big is gonna happen, mm -hmm. whatever way you decide to deal with it. Yeah. It just doesn't need to get to that point. I, don't think well, I know, I didn't know that. I mean, I dealt with it by drinking, so like, <laughs> then there was a problem. And then there was a problem. In clinical psychology, we look at, is there a disruption in work, love, or play? Right, and so uh, if there isn't any domain, or all domains, then we consider that pathological, right? Or not pejoratively speaking, so we're not saying there's something wrong about who is a person, but we're able to label it as a disorder that would require treatment, right? So since all of you, this is what's so cool about this group of people, all of us have had extensive experience with mental health. So I'm curious if you guys would be willing to talk about what have your experiences been like reaching out for help? And like, how do you experience therapy? I'd be willing to talk about that. Um, you guys all know I have bipolar disorder. Um, so I can speak from that perspective. And um, yeah, I was, for 20 years, I was in a marriage where I couldn't really much talk about it. And it's not that I couldn't. It's just that if I did say I was a little sad or if I showed too much happiness, I was either depressed and suicidal or about to have a manic episode. So I kept all that inside and it, it wasn't really healthy. Um, I think it contributed to a lot of other problems that, um, you know, just not being able to share how you feel or feeling like you can't, that you don't feel safe to do that. And there has to be a balance. I, I don't know what that is exactly but i mean if there is a problem it needs to be addressed obviously but um every you know i mean people feel sad sometimes that doesn't mean they're about to you know um in their life or you know people can be happy and it doesn't mean they're about to you know um, go off on a manic episode so I don't know. I just, I think there has to be a balance there um, where people can feel safe to talk about their mental health and um, 
not be worried that it's you know going to become something it isn't. Yeah, were there times you tried to talk about it? Well, it wasn't that I tried. I tried not to because the reaction would be typically like, "Do I need to call the hospital? You know, do I, do I need? Do you need a wellness check?" And that was frustrating. So sometimes I think that could even amp me up and get me upset. You know, and then you know I look like I'm having a manic episode because I'm so upset that. You know, oh, we're going to have a wellness check, and I just was happy because you know um, I got a raise or you know yeah. something like that. But um, yeah, so what was your question again? Well, I was just asking if there was first if you had had to try had tried to have the conversation, and then I was going to ask how it was received, and it sounds like they go to the worst case scenario, right? Like you described, mm -hmm. you were about to have a manic episode because they thought you were having a manic episode, and that just causes the end result that mm -hmm. you didn't place right yeah that's true and I mean I I did talk about mental health you know um, I was real open about having bipolar disorder but in terms of like being afraid that just normal range of emotions would be seen as an episode you know was constricting I just I felt like I couldn't show emotion so I got really good at being happy and not sharing that I was happy or being a little sad and not sharing that. So sometimes there would be cases where it would have been good to share because I was, you know, feeling depressed and going down that, you know, spiral, but I wouldn't say anything, you know, because I was so used to not saying anything. So, you know, sometimes my depression would get really bad. And, um, you know, sometimes I would, start to feel a little manic and be like enjoying that um i don't know how familiar either of you are with bipolar disorder but um, mania feels kind of good it's like kind of like a high and so you know i was already used to not talking about feeling good so then when i felt extra good i really wouldn't talk about that because yeah. you know that you know that would in badly most times but I you know I guess I needed to talk about it I just I just didn't or I would just talk to my therapist which you know is important too but um, yeah like the people close to me I I didn't feel like I could be real around them you know. was it therapy that ultimately changed that because I, mean, I feel like we have a pretty good solid group where I feel like we can talk about stuff and it's completely open so clearly you've made improvement like is that through therapy yeah i think so and just being around people that are supportive and understanding and you know people that i know i can talk to and um, just that peer support kind of thing um, i think that's m more valuable to me anyway than therapy because um, you know your therapist is not always available and even if one of your friends isn't you know, chances are somebody will be able to, you can reach out to someone and say, uh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a little off today. And then you can have that conversation. And a lot of times, you know, that, for me, that'll pull me out of it, just having that early on conversation. Um, and there's, you know, there's definitely things that therapy are, and, you know, doctors are important for, like meds, you know, maybe I need a med adjustment if I'm feeling... A little manic maybe I'm breaking through whatever mood stabilizer I'm on and uh, need to up the dose you know so that's important too I think it's a holistic approach that um, is really necessary so and then there's other things too um, you know just like uh, meditating um, and sometimes you just need someone to remind you to do that you know like are you breathing are you you know what I mean are you like um, practicing intentional breathing or um, doing other things that help with you know with whatever you're experiencing so. well I also want to know too like what was it like for you getting help or going to therapy yeah well I had I've had a couple different therapists and uh, one of my therapists um, kind of we, we got really comfortable with each other 
and our conversations turned into like bro time <laughs> so we were hanging out talking about whatever each of us were into more than talking about my mood or you know that would be like the first five minutes oh, i feel pretty good and then we would talk about everything else like uh, he was real into health and supplements and stuff and he would talk about things you know that he was doing for his health and I would talk about whatever project I was working on and he would be real interested in it so we would kind of shoot the shit for 45 minutes and not really accomplish much but um, at one point I decided to fire him as a therapist and get someone else and the, the therapist I have now is very good uh, he challenges me he you know, calls me out if I'm, you know, just, uh, he can tell, like, we have enough rapport now that he can tell if I'm, like, needing to talk about my mood more or whatever else is going on, so. So the first one sounded like an expensive friend. <laughs> kind <laughs> of, yes. Therapy right, yeah. right, so yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was, I felt like we were wasting each other's time, but enjoying it. <laughs> so. Thanks, because that, that's so important to talk about that part of mental health treatment, too. How important, I think, the relationship is with this. Mm -hmm. The team you're working with, so I'm also curious about Warren, Logan, how did you guys come to like treatment and what has worked or not worked? And anything you guys want to say about it? Like, yeah, we're talking about destigmatizing and everybody yeah. sharing just this fascinating to hear. Like Tony would say, Tony, by the way, everybody out there is our amazing group leader. <laughs> He's not here today. Is the reason we're here today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. What was your aha moment? Or how are you, you receiving? Go first? <laughs> no, you go first. I go first. Well, I didn't seek out. Well, I sought out therapy probably four years ago through a company I worked for because we had, fortunately, had some great benefits where we had a specific network we could reach out to and that certain classes covered. But kind of like David's first experience, like I did not connect with this woman. And she actually reminded me of an aunt of mine, which I'll stay general about in case this goes anywhere. And it's not like it's a bad comparison, but I definitely did not feel comfortable like sharing things, like my real concerns with her. Um, so that ended pretty like after maybe four sessions. And then it wasn't until this past January that I went back to therapy. Because I've been having, I've been miserable in the career for seven years. And then of course, anxiety was kicking in due to my relationship with alcohol. So I went, you know, to talk about that. And he just, he's very good about, I think kind of what, how David was talking about talking to friends. Sometimes you just need to hear yourself say things. Mm -hmm. um, especially when you're in those high anxiety moments or kind of pre-attack where you know, sometimes you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm about to die. You have no, there's nothing tangible to it at all. But then if you start saying out, like out loud what you're thinking, I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. But you need that other person to talk to. Um, so he's been helpful in that way. And we've navigated everything from my career to dating to ways I think about my relationships with my family. Because when I mentioned to my family that I was starting therapy, they were like, well, you know, nothing's wrong with you. I was like, no, something is wrong with me. She's like, why can't you talk to us? I'm like, because I need to talk about you. <laughs> to an degree. I mean, they. I feel like some members of my family don't believe in mental health. Like, it's just, oh, hey, you're bummed. Or, you know, stop thinking about it so much. I mean, there's been, I've been through pretty traumatic situations where they, I had to, per the guidance of my family, lock it up. It's like, just put everything away and be there for the people that need it. And all that did was delay it and amplify it 10 times once it finally did come out. So I was like, I appreciate your thought family, but I'm going. And so now the only thing my mom ever said was, you know, she's like, I can only imagine how much we come up. I'm like, you do come up, but it's a good thing. It's nothing I want to say to your face, but I need professionals help. And they just think they've done something wrong that I have to go to the therapist. And I don't know how to get them to change that. Uh -huh. uh -huh. I mean, I, me just going and being honest about it was a big step for me because I kind of grew up thinking I need to be like how my parents want me to be. I need to meet their expectations when I was like 
what are my expectations? Like, hold on. And then I just started making choices. Some they don't like, some they do. So I got, oh, the point of that, I kind of rambled, but was the fits huge because, like I said, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere with therapy going to the first woman just. She did nothing wrong, but I just couldn't, she reminded me of a family member, so I wouldn't tell her, like, what's really going on. Mm -hmm. um, but the practice I go to now in Southport is great. We just have a good rapport. Like, we built the trust, and then now I can actually open up and talk about what I need to. That's so Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> He's like, I'm up now. <laughs> okay, so what about you? If you want to contribute to it, <laughs> you see know. all the things. We want to know. Oh, yeah, that'd be way more helpful. Ask us a question. I mean, what's the common, common, most common misconception about therapy? Most common misconception about therapy. Hmm. That you are fundamentally flawed and broken, and beyond repair. Beyond repair, unlovable, mm. and, uh, and that therapy is not as valuable as meds. That's a misconception. How do you feel about that? You know, I am a firm believer in that which is curative. You know, but we we go to great lengths to not harm, right? The first rule we have is intense, so that we do not harm. Um, that becomes really tricky working in mental health, right? Um, now my train of thought just derailed. So what was it? <laughs> <laughs> I just, how do you feel about the misconception? How do I feel about it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel curious about it. I'm always asking people, like, what is it that you hope to change or be different as a result of coming to therapy? Because you're here voluntarily, you're a human. So if you didn't want to be in this room, you would find it like Right? So, okay. And it surprises me how many people um, think that therapy isn't the place to tell the truth. <laughs> Wait, wait, you said people feel like therapy is not the place to tell the truth? They do. Why do you think that is? Anxiety. Do you think it's because they haven't faced the truth or they just don't want? No, they know the truth. They okay. face the truth. Sorry, that's why they're there, but it's just going to take a minute. Is it why they're there or are they just going so they can tell people, hey, I'm there? Okay, that's true as well. Now, we have motive for everything, right? We have it in, in criminal psychology. We have it. Yeah, yeah, why are you there? Is your reason for a referral? Sure. What brings you in today and who sent you? So that tells us a lot about your why. Did you have to or you want to? And how old are you? Right? Because kids is a different story. But, you know, I think a big misconception is that um, therapy isn't immediately effective and can have long sustaining positive impact even if it's and multiple things can be curative. And I just think it takes time in general. You can't just have one powwow session and be like, I feel great now. Like you actually, it actually gets worse before it gets better if it was like my experience. Because you gotta dig deep into stuff that you've stored away for a long time and didn't wanna face. And maybe that's why some people lie because they really don't wanna go that far. But it gets worse before it gets better. Absolutely. Hit the archives of Pacifica Graduate Institute. Like their online library is amazing. I'll show you so many studies in psychology that are supporting that fact of that way. So it does get worse, but it gets better. Yeah. The part that gets worse is that you have to puke it out to another person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you hear it out loud from your own mouth. You do. Yeah. Um, and there's such great liberation and peace in that for 99.9999% so you think they get impatient and they just want like a quick fix? Well, sure, especially if like you know something is really, really, really disconcerting. Mm -hmm. You know, 
If you're cutting, if you're going home and you're cutting yourself, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're there for that, then that's a problem. That requires more immediate work. Yeah, my therapist and I have panic and non-panic mode. So usually after we became established, when I was with her, he's like, are we in panic mode or non-panic mode today? So that way we kind of know what, what's in person and exactly. how serious it is. <laughs> yeah. One thing I always found interesting in therapy is the the ratings at the beginning. How are you feeling emotionally on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> how are your relationships with other, the people you care about, and how how are you doing with tasks? And I always have trouble with that rating. I never know what to say. I'm like, well, depends on which task. You know, <laughs> I'm really good at the things I like to do, but the things I'm not very interested in, I Probably a two. <laughs> do you want a therapy hack, everybody? How do we do that? Therapy hack. Come in with your numbers ready. Helps us navigate you so much easier. We're looking and listening for frequency, intensity, and duration of anything that's going on because we do care and we do listen. So we're looking at appetite disruption, sleep disruption, changes, anything in medication. So we're checking in emotionally, physically, medically should be hitting on all those points. Are you sleeping? Do you have any nightmares? We want to really kind of make sure holistically you're taking care of. So when you come in and knowing it's a Likert scale and zero to 10, how do you rate your depression and anxiety? Think about that over the last two weeks between the sessions that you saw them last. If it's over two weeks, then just guesstimate it two weeks. Okay. So like for people that have anxiety disorders, I like to, to help them. Like zero is, I'm totally chill. Everything is right with the universe. You know, not even somebody in traffic could disrupt my zen right now. A 10 is, I'm having a panic attack. I cannot breathe. My heart is about to stop. I am shaking. I am dizzy. I cannot even stay in my body right now. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I think I'm having a heart attack. Call 911 right now. So that's a 10. Okay, so five is, you know, kind of garden variety if you're already an anxious person, so you could roll with that, right? Like, you, if, if something bad's going to happen, there's jokes about it. If something bad's going to happen, ask somebody that already has an anxiety disorder <laughs> to help talk you down. They're, because a plane crash to them is a two. Okay, so, but all jokes aside, so we're looking at how often is something happening and to what severity. Yeah, it changes so that makes sense. So when you go in and depression, it's the same thing. Ten is, I need to like literally have something taken out of my possession. I have plans, means, and intent to harm myself or someone else, or I am in imminent danger of something really bad happening, or I am going to walk out of here and stick an arrow needle in my arm, full blast. So you know that's a ten for depression. A one for a depression is like, Mr. Rogers made me cry again. And now I'm sad for the day because like I am just nostalgic and longing and it does feel depressing to me. That's a one. But you can get out of bed, right? So if you're hovering at the level of, um, I can get out of bed by forcing myself to get out of bed and it's for limited amounts of time. I'm going to work, coming home, going to sleep, or just I'm done. And, you know, I... Not really completing ADL's activities of daily living. I need a lot of, you know, internal effort. If you're feeling that way, that's about six. And that's enough of a differential that I think people should call your therapist before it gets worse and check in because in therapy it does get worse before it gets better. That's why you asked originally, how do I feel about pharmaceuticals and therapy? I'm a proponent of both, boo. I say that that would just cater to the individual, but I'm really a big proponent of having um, multidisciplinary evaluations, you know, and having all hands on deck and all brains at the table, if you will. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Logan, we haven't heard from you in a minute. What do you want to hear? <laughs> well, did you want to talk about um, therapy at all or your experiences with it? Uh, see, I, I feel like uh, most most men and even most women, when they go to therapy, it's not by choice the first time. Um, 
a lot of that is legality, you know, based on consequences. And that's that's how I got started into going and seeing counselors and going to IEP groups and all that. And a lot of like a lot of DCS cases and stuff like that. Um, that's a, that's where most of the people come in. And unfortunately, it's uh, right now it looks like it's more of like they get processed out. Can you do this? Can you do that? And then if you can or can't, whatever. You check the box for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna have to jump in and just like validate your reality. Stamp. Okay, so from my side of the room, I would like to say, I'm so sorry, sir. It is a documentation thing, party people in the house. That is like, I would say from my perspective, a big drawback for what they call patients or clients or consumers or however you want to language it, people that are there for any reason is, yeah, there are boxes that have to be checked. Just because it's mandatory. Or you're talking about in general because I think within what you were saying it's like if you were like kind of required due to some consequences to go they're not going to actually go as in depth with you it's just about like you have to go to these classes you can do this check the box you're done good job right cool stuff mm -hmm. and then also like diagnostically like where you go to right mm -hmm. yeah yeah yep. Yeah, not so much with the mental health, but definitely with uh, substance abuse. Yeah. Because that's definitely a determination that they make. But, but that's a, that's something that's, uh, you know, that's that's a tough thing, too, is, like, there's a, there's a stigma around mental illness with, you know, it goes hand in hand with being criminal and, or participating in criminal activity in some manner. Uh, That sucks. It seems like most anything can be a criminal activity accidentally. Like jingle. I'm just trying to think of the most ridiculous thing ever, like tearing off the, you know, the tag of my pillow or the mattress. <laughs> <laughs> does anybody know anybody that knows anybody that may know a cousin of anyone that has gone to prison for this? Inquiring minds want to know. For what? Doing something accidentally or no, the tag no. on the pillow? The tag on the pillow. Yeah, I don't oh. think so. Or the mattress. Yeah. Open? No. <laughs> I mean, like, I didn't admit how many times, but then, you know, cops might show up. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> Why are those tags there? I don't know. I remember. I've heard it before. I just can't. Yeah, yeah. In um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> there's a guy. Sometimes it's just Pee Wee. This is perfect. Yeah, there's uh, Mickey is the criminal, and he's like explaining to Pee Wee why he went to prison, and he's like, "Well, I lost my temper, and I took a knife, and I." Uh, and he sees that Pee-wee's getting uncomfortable with the story. He's like, you know those do not remove under penalty of law labels they put on mattresses? Well, like, cut one of them off. <laughs> and Pee-wee's like, oh, life is so unfair. Oh, yeah. You don't know Pee-wee's big adventure? No. Oh, he would love it. It was before my time. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like yes, classic. it's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know the song Tequila, right? The song what? The, it's the song Tequila. Uh, da, 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 da. Tequila. Yeah, it has one oh, word. Oh yeah, That's yeah. That's in Pee-wee's. Yeah. Big Adventure or the other one? Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah. he's got the goldfish shoes. On yeah, the that's. Yeah. <laughs> Some people don't know that's a Tim Burton film though. That's Tim Burton. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is he doing the new Beetlejuice? Johnny Depp is in it. I, I know. know. He should be. If it's Burton and Depp's in it. Yeah, if Johnny yeah. Depp's in it. Then. That would also make sense. means his wife will be in it. Which one? <laughs> um, well, no, not Johnny Depp's wife. Burton's wife. I know. Which oh. one? Sarah. Helena? Sarah Cohen something. What else has she been in? She was in Sweeney Todd, Sleepy Hollow. No. Yeah, she's in like all of his movies. That's why I'm on the Oh, well, see, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. 
back around to uh, blink twice if you're in trouble. <laughs> I was thinking about it in terms of an internal coping skill today. So an internal coping skill to me is like anything that we can do with our minds to change our experience of reality and to regulate our emotions. How do we do that? We have to change the way our brains are functioning, which means that which fires together, wires together. So if you're constantly in a state of stress, your neurons like basically form little tunnels, if you will, of anxiety and cortisol all the time. Right. Yeah, it's a problem for people. So I was thinking about it and like, okay, so blink twice if you're in trouble. There have been multiple situations just today where I thought to myself, hmm, yeah, I'm in trouble. Blink, blink. But you know, I wasn't in trouble, but I was like, yeah, that's a that's a hot mess for me. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> And so I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to link this, like my jam of jams of internal coping skills, which is like a neuro-linguistic practice, which is, okay, stop. When you're gut, hey, when you have a stressor, stop. Blink twice if you're in trouble, I'm in trouble, that triggers, stop. Count backwards, either from 10 to from 5. Make a different choice. Where am I right now? I'm in the present time. Around me are my friends. This is what we're talking about, so we're doing. Okay, so whatever I was just triggered about or worried about, I'm going to kind of like neutralize that and say thank you for showing up and on to the next thing. So, blink twice. That for me became hardwired to that practice. Kind of added on as a branch. Probably <laughs> just naughty, and that's not good for a podcast. That's true. <laughs> well, we'll cut out yeah, the Yeah, that's right? what I'm thinking of cut out time. Yeah, I don't have anything to say. I'm just going to be as quiet as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I like your like poses trying to get back into the chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna put something in. Well it's kinda of how David was talking too, it's just incorporating that like you talked about how you do intentional breathing. It's, it's actually a traumatic response coping skill my therapist taught me is like sometimes you literally just count the corners in a room or you physically take inventory of like what I can feel like as a body scan. So like I feel a chair on my back and like in my seat and I can feel my arms on the arm of the chair. That would be blink twice just to bring yourself back to the present. Does that sound a bad idea? I just like it as a general concept of no matter what, if you're in any sort of trouble personally, physically, like actually like do whatever mental effort it takes. It is Yeah, or you yeah, or whatever that happens to be in the moment. It's like when we talked about mental health, people think they have to make this huge leap or even let's talk about addiction too. You have to make oh I just have to quit. It's done. It's over. 
that's not it. You just have to take the first step if that's going to the doctor to get evaluated, if that's going to see if you need to be checked in or getting, or just telling someone. Yeah. Um, Did you tell anyone? About? Like when you were checking in? Yeah, I, I text all the people. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, right. there were only a few I didn't, um, just because I knew they probably wouldn't be supportive, which is a very strange thing, and obviously we act as friends now. Um, but I called everyone. I was already calling everyone that morning because I wasn't sure if I needed to go to the ER. So I already was kind of, I already knew something was wrong. Actually, I went to the ER that Saturday before thinking I was having a heart attack, but it was a panic attack or just elevated heart rate. But yeah, I called everyone. And that's when I finally just surrendered. Yeah. And all it was was a phone call. I didn't think of it as, oh, I'm going to be gone for a week. It was, I need to make this phone call. Yeah. Got in the car and I left. So that was my, those were my two blinks. Yeah. <laughs> phone call and car. So when I was researching today a little bit, I found an article on Daily Wire <clears throat> that I couldn't read because it's a subscription thing. <laughs> but it's funny. It says, um, blink twice if you're in danger, Will. Clips resurface of Jada filming Will saying she never wanted to marry. <laughs> Wait. Sorry, so I am in present time. Can you just repeat that for me? Yeah, sure. This, <laughs> this is the title of the article is Blink Twice If You're in Danger, Will. Clips resurface of Jada filming Will saying she never wanted to marry. And this was in April. Um, I can read the first part of the article. Uh, it says video clips of acting couple Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith have resurfaced online since Will infamously slapped, infamously slapped comedian Chris Rock at the Academy Awards over a mild joke about Jada. And then it fades out. In one clip, Jada films a frustrated, I'm assuming Will. But yeah, I can't read the rest of the article. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was our teaser. Yeah. And then I looked it up to see if there was anything else about it, but I couldn't find any other articles. I think Nicole Kidman could have used it back in the Tom Cruise days, right? <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> so, I, took it, I took it back. Do you think this like, term originated with what that oh, I did comment the, section that you were talking about for that video? Back in 2016? Yeah. Uh, I think it went further back. Yeah, I, when I was researching, I found um, that it's something that law enforcement uses sometimes to, like, if you can imagine a scenario where someone is answering the door, you know, the cops show up and someone's answering the door and they're trying to act normal, mm -hmm. but it's something that can be done to signify there's something wrong, you know, like... Uh, blink twice and then the officer or whoever's there would know something's not right yeah so that may be where it originated i think so because i just now remember i've seen it in a state farm commercial there yep. how good their services he's like oh he calls me he'll call me after hours he'll do this and the woman like grabs the guy and just like blink twice if you're in trouble yeah he's like no we're cool and i'm like so it's again like it's probably a really serious thing that started and it's become kind of a joke yeah, I think State Farm pulled that commercial, though, because I couldn't find it on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I found reaction like reaction videos to it and stuff like that, but on the State Farm YouTube page, it's gone. Interesting. So. I'll let you know if it comes up on the stream, like on Hulu. I think that's where I saw this Hulu. Yeah. Do you know how long ago it was? Or? I feel like it was fairly recent. Really? Like a week or two. Oh. Yeah. So I'll let you know. Yeah. Okay, pause. <laughs> what were you going to say, Logan? Forgot. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Logan, I remember the other day you were, we were just talking and you said something about being in trouble. Do you remember that? You were like, this is my cry for help. I'm in trouble. I'm trying to be funny, but it's my cry for help. No, I don't remember. You don't remember that? Do you remember that? I, I do do that. Yeah. <laughs> we were just having a conversation, and I don't know how it came to that, but um, Logan was like, this is my cry for help. I'm in trouble. 
You're trying to buy something ridiculous? I think I was making a joke out of it. Yeah, you were. Yeah. But it, we all laughed. It was funny. I, I think I remember I, I came over and I wasn't, I wasn't too good off. Yeah. Yeah, that was that night. Yeah. But I can't remember what I said. <laughs> but that's a bad thing that a lot of people do, especially once they're seasoned in with their mental illness and they really get a grasp on it is they have the unhealthy coping mechanism of dealing with it verbally with humor. Yeah. You know. That's, it really is not good. Well, maybe it's not that it's not good. It's just a coping skill, but maybe we all need to be a little more sensitive to when people are joking about it to say, okay, that's funny, but let's be serious for a minute. And, you know, how are you really doing? If you blink twice, if you're really in trouble. Right. (laughs) Yeah, because that almost was the opposite of what David said, was like, we need to talk about it more. So there's like, you're stuck between talking about it too much or too casually, and then not at all. And there's got to be like a happy medium, I feel like. I mean, so I want to know for everybody, what's been curative? How in the hell have you guys survived what you all have lost and, and now bring to the table? All the deep questions. <laughs> it was good. I'm just thinking. I think, you know, everything that was going on with me and my misunderstandings and everything, I put on a very hard, tough uh, face. And it, when I got into adult age, it turned into actual criminal activity and jail time and all that good stuff. And uh, now that I'm away from that, those things that I didn't want to talk about and everything else, they're not so bad to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Just from that Yeah. So you said what's been curative? Yeah. Hmm. For me, it's always been like a multifaceted approach, like not one specific thing, I would say. and so I don't know if one thing was more helpful than another necessarily. But um, when I'm doing the right things, that's helpful. I mean, a lot of stuff that I can choose to do or not do is helpful. For me, making art is one thing that helps me stay balanced. Um, just about anything creative. It doesn't have to be you know, painting a picture, but it can be... Um, making a t-shirt or designing a book or you know just something creative where i have an outlet to to create Uh, that's always helpful and of course therapy Um, if if i'm being open and taking it seriously and actually like you know sharing how i feel and what's going on that's helpful Um, of course meds i've been there have been times where I just quit taking my meds because I didn't want to. And that always ended badly. I wouldn't say it was a lot of times, but maybe like twice. I was like, I'm okay, I don't need this. you know. And so I would stop taking meds and end up in the hospital. So meds you know, are important for me. Um, friends are important, family, just you know, people that are there for you, um, that you can talk to and just um, kind of let some of the steam off, you know. Someone uh, told me an analogy of letting steam off and how to do that. And this has been helpful for me too. If you if you have a lot of pressure built up, you think about like a, a can of, or a bottle of soda and if you shake it up it's going to have a lot of pressure and you know we all get shaken up in life but if you just take the top right off it just blows everywhere you make a mess but if you can let off a little bit of pressure little by little you can have you can take the top off without you know an explosion uh, i love that <clears throat> that is a good analogy yeah. i was anticipating a tea kettle I like the Coke bottle a lot. Let's <laughs> 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 get a cool sound. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I agree with David. It's, it's multifaceted, but I think at the root of all of it was like that moment of like, I think humility is the right word or the word that I want was the surrender. It's like finally, if you can't do that and be humble enough to be like, yeah, I'm not fucking perfect or just finally accepting yourself, you can't do any of the other things. And then once you take, you go through that initial process, it's having friends like you. I had someone I was talking about you guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I talk about you guys a lot, and they were like, you know, like, yeah, I understand those meetings are like not even meetings, like hanging out with is really important because those are the only people that went through what you went through, and none of us really know what it was like. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys were the first people I was ever honest in front of an IOP. Like, there, I said shit in there that none of my family and friends know. That's rare in those groups. I've been to, I can't tell you how many IOPs, and the IOP that we went through was, was like the most honest and accepting group of people we got really really lucky for sure yeah i feel lucky definitely yeah and grateful (laughs) the group makes all the difference i've been in iop for you know mental health reasons and i've been in good groups and i've been in groups where i just didn't even want to be there it was so like i don't know just uh everyone was closed off and the you know, whoever was leading the group had to pry to get stuff out of people. And in those cases, I, I would even try to, like, set an example by being open and sharing and stuff. And everybody would just kind of sit there and be like, okay, sorry that Thanks happened to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not share anything still. That's kind of frustrating. So I get, like, appreciating a good group. Yeah. I think we had what? Only one other experience, I think you and I, of, you know, a different structured class and kind of through a bit, just slightly. But we were just, we were spoiled with our great experience. So, yeah, I can believe that not all of them are, not all of them are our class. <laughs> Definitely not, yeah. And then each group within the group is different. Mm-hmm. And it's always evolving. You know, they talk about in psychology, forming, storming, and warming. Yeah. Which is interesting when you have an ongoing open enrollment. You know, style where one, you know, you may have the same group of people for six weeks or 12 weeks or. It's just like jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got a bunkie yeah. for two weeks and then he's gone and then mm-hmm. you have a new bunkie for the last two weeks that you're there. I'm sure there wasn't a lot of sharing in that, that space though. Oh yeah, there was. Your feelings. <laughs> 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 you were going a different direction. Yeah. <laughs> We shared the not feeling. <laughs> you can tell us more about that later. <laughs> That's a whole different episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was my long-winded point of how great play for you. Well, do we want to land this plane, or are we gonna? Yeah, and we're gonna have to say that every episode. Yeah, we wanna land this plane. Let's bring it in for a landing. <laughs> we gotta land this plane. Make sure your trays are up and your seats are up, right? right? <laughs> However they say it. Those are glasses are nice to pull. Gonna sign us off, dude. Um, I don't know. I mean, this has been a great first episode, I would say. Um, yeah, it's uh, exciting to see where this whole thing goes. And um, yeah, we talked about a lot today. Especially just from springboarding off of uh, Think Twice if you're in trouble. <laughs> we, we went the full uh, gamut of mental health and all of that. So. Yeah. This plane has landed. <laughs> <laughs> Officially. <laughs> <laughs>